that special this morning.
Appreciate everybody being here this morning, even with all the uh, things that have happened this week. I've got a quick uh, note here that was laying here a while ago and didn't get a chance to uh, to read it. It says, uh, thank you all so much for your cards, prayers, and phone calls. Promised Land is a good church family, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Brother Johnny Kilcrease and Brother Johnny, we're still praying for you, and uh, you and... Uh, and everybody else that's facing that, it just sounds different. We're getting used to it. A lot of still, a lot of kinks. Didn't had time to do a whole lot of rehearsing uh, with the sound system, and and uh, so we'll get after it. Looking at this, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to the Book of Nehemiah, chapter three, and uh, just as we continue looking at this um, series, strengthening our hands for the work. And as I was preparing this week, matter of fact, uh, we were headed. With three by itself seems pretty dry it not it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot there at first whenever you're reading it and uh and as i was looking at this and thinking about it uh planning for nehemiah chapter three and it dawned on me especially after wednesday night especially after everything you know what it dawned on me it dawned on me that nehemiah chapter three is about teamwork Nehemiah chapter 3 is about organization and people coming together and working together and doing the right thing for the right reason. It's about people putting aside uh, uh, me first or my ideas or this idea. It's about saying what is God has laid a, a work on Nehemiah's heart. Let's help accomplish the work that needs to be done. There was so much teamwork going on Wednesday night. We had, you know, and, and Trey knows the, uh, I mean, I was hesitating when I came down out of the attic the second time and I knew we were on the verge of something super serious. I'm like, because I knew, I said, man, if, we, if I call 911, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. I said, man, it's going to be it's confusion. It's going to be chaos. We have 150 kids here. And I said, I wanted everybody to be safe. But I said, I said Trey, call 911. So he went to call 911. I grabbed the the wet rags and and the uh, flashlight, and I headed back upstairs to make sure Kenneth and Norbley were okay. And and I, and I went up there, and but everybody pitched in. Everybody did their part. They kept the kids safe. Everything was safe, and I was so glad to see everybody was picking up stuff. They matter of fact, the cord that I picked up while ago was attached to the socket because nobody could remove it because it had melted into the socket. 
and because uh, there was they were taking sound equipment over there and grabbing songbooks and moving stuff and getting shop backs and electrical cords and trying to unhook everything. We had the electric company out here and uh, disconnect. We had shut off the breakers and cutting the power, and Shane was cutting the power and doing this, making sure that when they sprayed the water that it was going to be all right. And so, but everybody was pitching in. Teamwork was what I thought about, and guess what I was preaching on Sunday, and I didn't even know it at the time because. I, I looking ahead and I was contemplating how well do I skip chapter 3 but man I looked at it and what I thought was dry turned out to be loaded which I had read it before but it had been a while but Nehemiah chapter 3 is a beautiful beautiful passage it's it's about the gates that Nehemiah and his uh, uh, the people that were helping him to rebuild these gates and uh matter of fact i've titled today's message the gospel according to nehemiah now nehemiah didn't know he was preaching the gospel as he kept this diary up but i have matter of fact on the second slide i've got a picture of the most famous gate in all of jerusalem this was built in about 1535 and uh, by the ottoman empire the turks and uh the that's called the eastern gate Many of y'all may have seen Sister Francis pull it up before, but there's uh, 12 gates that Nehemiah rebuilt. Ten of them are found in this chapter, in chapter 3. Two of them are found in other chapters. Matter of fact, there's, and I was wanting to cover them all, then I found out there's no way in the world, so you know what I'm going to do. As I started building this sermon and building this sermon, the sermon kept getting bigger and bigger, and uh, all the stuff that's there, it was just crazy. So I said, you know what? We're going to have a part one and a part two. And tonight will be part two. We're going to uh, put uh, First Peter on hold for a little while and just look at this. And we're just going to deal with six gates this morning and looking at this. But these are amazing things whenever you begin to dig and to see that the gospel is... Did you know Jesus is in every book of the Bible? Jesus is in every book of the Bible. He's seen. He's pictured. He's talked about. He's the type and a shadow. And a, the, the folks, the blood of Jesus is found from Genesis to... Matter of fact, it's been on our, our screens the whole time this morning. The very last verse of the entire Bible says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's Revelation 22, 21. And so from Genesis 1, 1 to Revelation 22, 1, 21, we find Jesus from the cover to cover. Jesus is what it's all about. He is the message of the gospel or the message of the Bible. It's all about Jesus. And as we look here, I'd like for, to ask you to stand for the reading of God's holy word, Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 1. Of all of the twelve gates, this is the most important gate of all. Let's read about it. Then Elishab, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests. And they builded the sheep gate. And they sanctified it and set up the doors of it even unto the tower of Miah. They sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. Let us pray. Father, thank You for giving us Your Holy Word. Father, I'm praying for revival. I'm praying that revival would even break out this morning. Thank You for everyone that was able to be at the prayer meeting this morning at 9. And uh, for those, I know there are people praying all over the world. 
for our church as we had this catastrophe, really. But, dear Lord, may it be a blessing in disguise. Thank you that no one was hurt or injured in any serious way. And, Father, I thank you for all the great volunteers and workers that that made this, uh, what could have been a worse tragedy, a little better in getting through all of the chaos and confusion. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In, the, in this passage, as we look at Nehemiah, it, it, you know, and we read this first one, and if, you're, and if you've got your Bible open, and I'm not going to be looking at every single verse in here, but uh, there's several things that we can talk about as this plan begins to carry out. There's a couple of phrases that occur over and over. The word next occurs 14 times in this chapter. And just kind of like if you, you just grab any of them. In the beginning of verse 4 it says, And next unto them repaired Marymoth. And then verse 5 says, And next unto them. And it just keeps going on and on and on. And then so basically, and then you have phrases as you keep reading this. It says, And after him. And after them. And this signifies teamwork, folks. That, and this is a very famous quote. I just read it. I think it's anonymous. I don't know. But it says, no man can do everything, but every man can do something. Isn't that? That's a great quote. Don't know where it came from. I ran across it this week and I said, that signifies the teamwork. Folks, if you want a church to have revival, it, folks, one person can't bring the revival. One person can't do all the work of the church. One person can't do everything, but folks, everybody can do something. Everybody can do something. I can pray. I can do something. I can help somebody out. I can make a phone call. I can write a note. I can do this. I can do that. You know what I mean? So we don't think, well, I'm just sitting. Nobody's giving me a job to do. All you got to do is come ask me. <laughs> just come ask me. But otherwise, you don't even have to be asked. You can say, you know what? I want to pray for revival. And whenever Brother Michael gives the invitation, I want to go pray for somebody. And whenever the invitation comes, I want revival to happen at Promised Land. I need to start getting involved in Sunday school. I need to get and start involved with the children's ministry. When Upward comes around next year in the Upward ministry, I need to go see Trey and I need to volunteer to help out in this. I need to help out on Wednesday nights. We're always looking for somebody to do something. And that's what it's all about is teamwork. Teamwork. Our church is going to succeed or fail based upon teamwork. And you say, well, it should be based upon the Lord. Yeah, but that teamwork should be based upon the Lord. Yes. That teamwork is based upon Him and His Holy Word. And folks, we see a great example in God's Word of what? Teamwork. But guess who, folks? Where did it all start? It started with God laying a burden on a man. He laid a burden on Nehemiah. You see what you see how that works? And laying a burden on Nehemiah then worked into teamwork. It worked into saying, Well, you know what if God has laid a burden on Nehemiah? Sounds like we need and it fits perfectly with what they were already, folks. If God's leading me, He's not just going to lead me to do something, He's also going to lead you to do something. And guess what? It'll work every time. It'll work in harmony. Did you know, listen to this, this makes perfect sense because it makes God sense, Bible sense, and just common sense. 
If God's going to lead me to do something, He's not going to lead you to do something different. What that means is is everybody will be on the same page. It's in the Bible. What I mean by that, He's not going to say, well, um, God's leading me to go up and you go down. No, God's leading me to go north and you go south. No, He's going to put us all on the same page. It's amazing how that works. And uh, so he's, he's going to put us with the... It doesn't mean that we all do the same thing, but we're all going to have the same burden. Is He going to lead everybody? And there's some burdens that are just givens. Like, is it God's will for people to be saved? Yes. Well, uh, is, did God... He hadn't really laid it on my heart to, to tell anybody about Him. So, Folks, he's laid, He lays that on all of our hearts to tell others about Him. So... The plan continues to carry, to carry out. We know that every, if you look at this, every man had an area of responsibility. It was a very organized work. You know, and, and it seemed like in, in, uh, as this plan was being carried out here in chapter 3, that as you look at this, and I was reading some of this, and I've got uh, practicing saying some of these names, uh, Uriah, Miramoth, Berechiah, all these Misha, Bill, and I said, you know what? As I was reading these names, God says, this work was so important. You know what God did? God says, I'm going to put every one of your names in this book. And did you know that the Bible says, and I, folks, I believe the Bible, that God's Word is going to last forever. So guess whose names are going to stay in the Word of God forever? And that's these people. The Word of God is everlasting. I want you to... <clears throat> Speaking of teamwork and everything right now, let's head to Romans chapter 4. I mean, excuse me, Romans chapter 12, verse 4. And just look at this passage here. And we're just going to read through this real quick. So as I think about the plan being carried out, the plans being carried out, how can our church, how can our church, well, what, what do I do? You may be sitting there this morning and say, well, Brother Michael, I want to be... I want to have a burden and I want to do more for the Lord, but what, what does God want me to do? What does God want? And that's a good question to talk about. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 says this, For we, as we, have many members in one body. That means church members. And all members have not the same office or same duty. So we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Did you know that how you conduct yourself, how you behave, how you treat others directly affects our whole church? That's what it says there. We're all, we're all different members of the same body, the body at promised land, yet we affect each other. Verse 6 says this, Having then gifts, deferring according to the grace that is given to us. Did you know every one of y'all have different gifts? Now this gift here would be another synonym would be talents. Everybody's given different gifts or talents here. This is not really talking about those spiritual uh, like uh, speaking in tongues. This is like talents, if you will. Because notice it goes on to talk about these ministry gifts. It says... Um, According to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to proportion of faith. In other words, to speak the word of God. Or ministry, do you serve others? You see, ministry, some people are naturally gifted to serve others. 
Let us wait on our ministering or he that teaches. Do you have a gift? Do you love to teach people? Do you have a gift of teaching? And then verse 8, it says, Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, which is an old word for encouragement. Some people are natural at encouraging somebody else. Some people are naturals at lifting somebody else up. What is that your gift this morning? Are you an encourager? Of course, the opposite of that would be a discourager. It says, let him do it with simplicity. Are he that ruleth... Are, are you an organized person? Can you organize something and say, you know what, I'll take that. Brother Michael doesn't have to do that. I'll organize something. He won't, he won't have to worry about that. And, uh, or, you know, well, this person, Brother, Brother Norman's been doing this for the music, and Miss Barbara's been doing this for the music, and, and we'll just, somebody else says, you know what, I, I want to help organize something. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Well, these are all great things about being organized and, and saying, you know what, God has gifted me or given me a talent or given me an ability, ever how you want to say it, and I want to go to work and I want to be a part of the team because I'm a member of Promised Land and I want to see our church succeed and have revival, but it's most about Jesus and seeing His name lifted up. Okay? You know, in all these verses here as we look at, We've got a plan, and then we've got what uh, we have the people. So we look at these people, and they're listed. We talked about them being listed and using their talents. There were priests and rulers and craftsmen and even Jews. And also, I, I, I'm not going to read all these verses, but did you know that in verse 11, 19, 21, 24, 27, 30, I think I put that in your bulletin, that there were some people who did extra work. It lists them there. It actually says they did extra work. And then it says some worked in their own homes. And uh, in verses 10, 23, 28 through 30, and I put there, isn't this where God's work should begin? It does say that. In all of those verses there. In all of those examples, you know what people were saying? <laughs> I hear that cooling fan going on in that machine. I'm struggling to keep up with you, Brother Michael. I'm giving her all she's got. Sound system's keeping up with me, Brother Kenneth. All right. You know what I heard a reoccurring theme in our little prayer meeting we had this morning. Several times people said, Brother Michael, revival needs to begin with me. Revival needs to begin with me. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to have a, a church that honors and glorifies God, it says those people worked on their own home. If we're going to have revival and we're going to have a church that honors God, we've got to start with our own home. Don't try to fix somebody else's home before we fix our own home. Don't try to fix somebody else's heart before we fix our own heart. It says those people worked on their own home. And they worked. Some did extra. And God says, I'm going to put your name down there. Now, God also listed a group. God also listed a group that uh, He didn't list their names, but He, he just listed them. And uh, He even chose in verse 5. And I, and I will read it. I don't think I put it in the, in the outline or the slides. But 
Yeah, I did. It says in verse 5, And next unto them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord. Which says this, basically, God even chose to list the people by group who wouldn't even lift a finger. They just sat over there on their backside and did nothing. Well, as we continue to look at this and just and we talk about the people, the plan, the people, and now we're going to talk about these places. There's some definite spiritual lessons we can learn from the rebuilding of these walls and, and these gates and God's gracious to us and, and showing us here a marvelous picture. The very first one is the sheep gate. And the very first thing mentioned here about the sheep gate that we read, and this is what's really cool, it's really awesome, is we see that the sheep gate represents Jesus, it represents sacrifice. John one twenty nine says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Folks, the sheep gate was the very first one mentioned. The sheep gate was the very first one that was, and the only one that was sanctified. And you know what was really cool? That either, if, if I, if I knew it, I forgot it. As I was looking at all these gates, and you can do, just do your little five minute research this afternoon. You know what it says? It says on every gate, there were bars and locks on every gate but one. Every gate but one had bars and locks. Guess which gate did not have a bar or lock? Sheep gate, which tells me what? The sheep gate represents Jesus, which represents salvation, and folks, the door of salvation is open to all. The door of salvation is available for anyone. There's no bars or gates on, on the sheep gate, folks. And so it's great, folks. The door of salvation is open to anybody. It's the, the gate. If you want to go to heaven, that, you all, that we all have to go through. In verse 3 through 5, it talks about the fish gate. You know, in the fish gate, in verse 3, it says in the fish gate, it mentions it there, and it tells all who's repairing and working on the fish gate. Folks, the fish gate speaks about the work being fishers of men and soul winners. The book of Mark, chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, says this, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. The fish gate. There's a neat legend. Many of you have a... Uh, I love the story <laughs> about this uh, preacher's wife who wound up getting pulled over by the police and thrown in jail. And, uh, and finally the husband and the police officer and the lawyer and everybody met up there and they said, well... Police officer, why in the world did you arrest the preacher's wife and throw her in jail? And he said, well, I pulled up to a red light and this car was broke down right in front of the red light and this woman got out of this car and I noticed she had followed me to Sunday school bumper sticker on the back. 
and had one of them fish emblems on there. And that woman got out of there and was making all kinds of racket and just stomping up and down and throwing a big hissy fit and just doing all sorts of ungodly things. So I knew that that car must have been stolen. So I arrested her right there. You know, we can have those fish emblems and bumper stickers on the back. <laughs> it, you know, and they, <clears throat> there's an old legend about the fish symbol that whenever Christians were under persecution and you were standing there and you drew half a fish symbol and then if the other person was a Christian, you'd take your toe and you'd drag that other half of the symbol out to be that fish symbol in the sand and you'd know it's okay to talk to them about the Lord because they were under such heavy persecution. But the fish symbol has come a long ways. It's kind of a neat legend. But in the Bible, God, Jesus, God in the flesh, chose to use the symbol of a fish. Come follow me and I'll make you what? Fishers of men. You see, even Jesus put his stamp of approval upon the fish symbol, if you will. He used that as an analogy. You're fishing for fish, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And so the fish gate symbolized soul winning and telling others about Jesus Christ and how that we see this in the book of Mark and just see it right away. And then as we move on, we look at the old gate in verses 6 through 12. Matter of fact, this is the longest section, I believe. And, uh, but it's, you know, looking at the old gate in verse 6, moreover, the old gate repaired Jehoiada and it lists all the people. But folks, what this speaks of is the importance of the old paths and the old truths from God's Word. You know, the world is looking for a new truth. The world's looking for a new way to do church. The world's looking for a new Savior. The world's looking for a new, always new stuff. But folks, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, Nuh-uh-uh. ain't gonna do it. And they suffered for it. They did. Folks, the old way Sure, there's all new ways of doing stuff and new technology and new this and new that, but when it comes to the truths of God's way, there's only one way. And the old way is the best way. The valley gate in verse 13, and it just basically speaks about humility before the Lord. In verse 13 it says the valley gate, and it talks about them repairing it. But folks, the valley gate just is over there by the valley, obviously. Even Jesus went through His valleys. And folks, you cannot get through the valleys without His strength. One of the most famous valley verses in the Bible is Psalms 23 and verse 4, which says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because why? You're with me. Amen. Rod and your staff, they comfort me. Before I keep moving, I don't have too many more gates left. I'm gonna, Like I said, I knew I'd only have time for six gates this morning. i got to talk about this valley gate before we move any further. 
Because I guarantee you, in a crowd this size, which got several out missing, but uh, there's somebody this morning going through a valley. You're going through a valley in your life. And it may just, matter of fact, your spouse may not even know about it. It just may be between you and God. You're going through a valley. You're going through a tough time. You're struggling. You may be struggling physically this morning. You may be struggling spiritually. God knows what your valley is. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He's there with you. There's another verse in the New Testament. I'll just quote it real quick. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a great promise. It's a great promise to know that whatever your valley is, He's helping you through it. He's going to be there with you. As we continue to look at the next one is the dung gate. Yeah, and that, that does say that... Uh, that sound, yeah, you, you read it correctly. Dung, trash, rubbish, heap. You could even say, yes, manure, and all of those other things, but the dung gate is exactly what it is. Verse 14, it just mentions it, and it talks about who, who repaired the dung gate. But it, you know what this speaks of? We need to ask for forgiveness of our sins. We need to tell the Lord, I've messed up. To confess sin is one of the greatest opportunities that you and I have. You said, oh, I figured, well, it's, uh, asking Jesus to save me is the greatest opportunity. Folks, if you didn't ask for forgiveness of sin, if you didn't come to Jesus realizing you're a sinner, you're probably not saved. We must say, I'm a sinner. You must realize why you need a Savior. And that motivates you to get to ask Him to save you. If you just repeated a prayer after some preacher, you're probably not saved. If you just said some words and said, well, I need to pray and ask Jesus to save me. If you just, is that the only reason you did it? Just to say, I want to go to heaven. Folks, it's not about getting a better life at the end. It's about saying, I need a Savior because I'm a sinner. And I didn't want to die and go to hell. But you, you say, well, I didn't say, I don't remember what words I said. It's not about your words. It's about, did you come before Him and realizing that you needed a Savior? Because you fall way short. You, that's it. It's not about the words you say. It's just coming and saying, I am messed up. God, I am messed up. I've got sin in my life. Second Corinthians 7, 1 says this, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting or maturing holiness in the fear of God. And then another great, awesome verse, of course, is 1 John 1, 9. Many of you know it by heart. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you say, well, I'm, never, I, I'm really... Folks, this is all that you need to have to, has to come out of your mouth. I tell you what, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, then you're guilty of verse 10. You say, somebody's worse than me. I know that you're guilty of verse 10. You may not say it in that fashion. You may not say it the way verse 10 is worded. But if that's the attitude of our heart, the Bible says we make Him a liar. and His Word is not in us. The last gate that I want to deal with is called the gate of the fountain. 
And this, the other one was the second longest. This is the longest because it's verses 15 through 25. And this illustrates the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does in our life. And I want you to notice real quick. We're fixing to have a hymn of invitation, but the gate of the fountain, there's a sequence that I want you to notice. In order to get saved and have a right relationship with the Lord, number one, you come across the valley gate. That's humility and brokenness. We can't have revival without that. We can't even get saved without that. Did you know that if you didn't humble yourself before Him, you didn't mean your prayer? If you didn't humble yourself before Him. The next is the dung gate. That's I'm talking. What order am I talking about? I'm talking about the order that God led Nehemiah to write these down in. I didn't come up with this order. This is the order right out of the Bible. Okay? Right in the Bible. The valley gate, the dung gate, which means I need to confess my sins. And then the gate of the fountain is when the Holy Spirit comes inside of me and fills my heart and yours. Even after you're saved, I've got to be humble and willing to listen to God's leading. What about you this morning? As we get ready for a hymn of invitation, Brother Norman and our musicians come. I I thank you for taking a look at this passage of what I've called. And Nehemiah didn't even know he was going to do this. You know what he called it? Or what we called it? The gospel what? According to Nehemiah. He was preaching Jesus and he didn't even realize. All of those gates have an awesome meaning. There's the others, other gates to look at. And uh, I pray that we'll have revival. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity this morning we have. I thank you, you and, and we do thank you for the physical things that were spared this week. Dear Lord, like these young people need to realize that it's not about always having a roof over our head as it is having you in our hearts. As you said, you would supply our every need. Dear Lord, bless our church. May we have revival. In Jesus' name, amen.